Hello, welcome to Women, Faith and Stories. Um, my name is Jeanette Duff and we are kicking off with series two, whoop whoop, of the podcast. I can't quite believe it. Uh, I did 10 the first time round. I've had a few weeks off. I've been in Northern Ireland seeing family, which was lovely. I've been had a terrible cold for those that might care about that. And I've had my eldest start secondary. And I've had the joy this week of having two of my children home isolating due to COVID cases in school. So it's all been fun and games in this house. But I'm really, Luke woke up this morning and thought, yay, I can't believe I'm getting to do another one today. And I'm int- introducing a lovely lady who I know from church, Anna Rowe. Welcome, mm-hmm. Anna. Hi everyone, it's nice to be on the podcast. Oh, it's great to have you on Anna, we've been trying to get this book did I think for quite a few weeks haven't we? Indeed we have and I think because of your, as as you've just said, all those various things and <laughs> I've gone from being on one job to another job as well, it's just been hectic. But busy, we're busy. <laughs> it's happening today and um, from the brief chat that we had before this because we know each other a little through church but we obviously don't know each other's stories very well and yeah. just from the little snippets that you've told me before Anna I'm really looking forward to getting to know you a bit more find out a bit about your life and what's been going on and ultimately um, you know what what God's been doing for you really yeah. so Anna tell us a bit about yourself so I am in Liverpool, obviously going to Christchurch. I'm 26 years old. I am a junior doctor um, and I'm married to someone called Chris, who is another junior doctor. So that's fun and games as well. I'm sure. <laughs> and um, yeah, I moved to Liverpool for university to study medicine. Before that, I'd had a bit of a um, how to describe it. Um, an experience of living all over the place in the UK. I say that I lived in Birmingham for the first eight years of my life and then moved down to the southeast, the very tip almost. Um, lived in Canterbury until I came to uni. So I like to think that I've uh, lived in the Midlands, I've lived in the south and now I live in the north and I really do love the north and I'm not planning on leaving. Wow. So, um, so when did you come up to the north Anna? What year did you come here? That was 2012, September 2012 um, if I remember correctly because we just had the Olympics in London. Oh yes? Yeah that was 2012 and then I came here so yeah that was when. <laughs> So you're pretty settled in Liverpool. Would you call it now your home pretty settled here? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I've listened to most of the podcasts that you've done and um, for all the people who are, who've, you know, moved to Liverpool. And similarly, um, the people who've moved to Liverpool for uni, um, I felt this sense of when I came up to visit Liverpool for the first time that this was definitely where I was meant to be. And that was a very weird thing to think because I've been to lots of other places and yeah. um, actually had didn't know anything about Liverpool living in Kent. It wasn't really much of a the place where people went. People went to London, Bristol, maybe if they're a little bit um, rogue, they might go to Scotland or something like this. <laughs> but for some reason, Liverpool wasn't on the radar at all. And it was only because when I was applying to uni, um, 
I had put um, all these really, you know, easy to get into universities like Edinburgh University, Bristol University, <laughs> Nottingham Down, because they were, you know, quite famous medical schools. Um, yeah. And a, f- a few friends had mentioned Liverpool um, Medical School or just Liverpool University. And I thought, well, I've got a fourth choice. So I'll just pop that down, not thinking anything <gasps> of it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, literally, I did. I was going to, you know, I was going to go to Edinburgh. You know, I loved Edinburgh. I've been to Edinburgh in the past. Um, it was a great city, and so you know, that's where my heart was. Um, but funny, funnily enough, I then went to visit it on an open day, and I don't know what it was. It was quite a grey day, as it normally is up in Scotland. Yes. <laughs> and um, the university was really grand, and I just thought actually I don't think I'm meant to be here I don't I don't have a desire to come here anymore but I'd already applied by that point so I thought oh we'll see how it goes and then the only other place I then went to was Southampton definitely didn't want to go there um and then um essentially when I got my interview at Liverpool my mum and I got the train from Kent all the way up to Liverpool for the interview and as soon as I stepped off the train I just had this the sense that this was probably where I was going to be um I obviously didn't know with any certainty that that was the case I hadn't had my interview but um I just really loved the city and mum really loved the city and it was hard to say why but yeah and then I ended up the only place I ended up getting um for medical school was Liverpool so for a very sort of um offhand um so Anna, yes, yeah, so you came to Liverpool and you felt at peace with being here. Um, and yeah, so go on then. So you're here, you're settled. Are you working then at the minute in the hospital, Anna? Yeah, so um, just to try and explain junior doctor, because I think there's a lot of myths um, about what a junior doctor is. So um, a junior doctor is a doctor that's fully qualified, who has um, um, obviously finished their five years at university, Technically, you have one foundation year after that that um, you do before getting a full registration, but you are a qualified doctor in that time. And then it's any um, stage up until you're a full consultant. So I'm a junior doctor, but I'm quite um, early into my career. So I've only just finished my foundation training, which is the two years that you do after your medical schooling and I'm now taking a year out of training which has become a very popular thing to do um, because I think a lot of us don't really know what we want to do by the end of two years and so I was in that position as well. Um, I've always known, well I say always, I've known for a very long time I want to work in the future with women in some capacity and so I think I'm basically um, thinking of either going into obstetrics and gynaecology or um, general practice with a special interest in women's health, which is another thing you can do if you want to work specifically more with women. Um, oh, I think you'd be lovely at that, Anna. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> I would hope so. Is that um, patronising? That probably sounds no, really patronising. I don't mean no, it to sound patronising. No, I'll, I'll take the compliment, don't worry. <laughs> Um, and so I'm on a year out partly to kind of make up my mind which I might not really fully make up my mind but we have to apply to our specialty training in November and so I thought this time last year I would have got everything sorted I would have a um, 
I'd be doing what's called a clinical fellowship. Um, it just means being a, the same sort of level doctor, but in obstetrics and gynaecology at this stage to cement whether I wanted to go into it or not. But unfortunately, for various reasons, that is not what I'm doing right now. Instead, I am um, in, I guess, plan B, which is um, locuming um, around to gain more experience, to have a bit of uh, freedom with my timetable, which is really nice, actually. And so I'm either in A&E at Western Hospital or um, in doing medical um, shifts. So I've actually okay. been doing the medical shifts for the past week on the fracture, yeah. fractured hip wards. So that's been lots of fun. Okay. So obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, has it been very tough for you these last few months, Anna? Um, it's been an interesting one. I think for for a lot of us, um still working in hospital when everything kicked off in March we still came to work every day and so in some ways it was a blessing because you had your routine you got to see friends whenever people were isolated from people because you were at work with them um and life felt fairly normal despite everything that was going on I'd say that it was still stressful, of course, um, because you didn't know what was coming around the corner. And I think in March, we just assumed that it was going to be horrendous and, um, you know, we, would, we wouldn't be able to cope. And I think the people most hit hard were the staff working in the intensive care units. It was really bad for them. Um, and I've heard various stories which are really hard to hear. I was in A&E at the beginning of this and I ended up staying an extra two months in A&E because we, a lot of people were redeployed, um, but also because A&E is the entrance and the gateway to hospital, um, we needed to try and get as many doctors in A&E as possible to try and process what we thought would be a huge influx of COVID patients. And what happened, as I think other people have said on podcasts as well, is we did have a lot of COVID patients coming through and we got very used to treating them and we learned how best to treat them. But we also had a massive drop in other attendances, the normal attendances yes. that you get to A&E. And so at those times were really odd because we turn up to work and we'd almost some days be fighting to see patients because there were so many and so and much less in comparison patients to see so um it was a really weird environment yeah. um because we'd, we'd what's it like now and has it changed now or is it back to um, it's normal? kind of back to normal um it's sort of yeah I would say if you walked into A&E now it would feel very similar to how it was before we knew about Covid and um so there's lot, lots of patients all the same sorts of patients the only thing that's remained the same in my workplace although this differs for, for different um hospitals is that we have two separate well, parts of a department called hot and colds and the hot department part of the department is where patients with any symptoms of COVID go and then the cold department is um, where anyone else would go as long as you don't have any COVID symptoms you can go there and yeah. so at the moment more we have more patients in the cold department than the hot department Good. Good. that's what we want to hear but I think we are starting to see, as we know from the news, but we are starting to see a slight increase now in in COVID cases again. So um, 
uh, it's hard to make any predictions, but it does seem that, you know, it's starting to to come back. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, well, you're giving us a bit of an insight there into the COVID world and, you know, working in a hospital. I always take my hat off to all the medical people. I am much too emotional to work in a hospital <laughs> in any way, shape or form. And I always just admire people who, you know, you work so hard and, you, you know, you've had to put a lot of work in to even get to where you are now. And I always get the opinion with doctors that it never even quite finishes when you get the job. You're still constantly sort of learning new things and yeah. training. Yeah, which is brilliant. And we're very grateful for you guys. <laughs> Being married to another doctor, is that do you think is that? good do, do you find it helpful to come home and decompress with Chris yeah I do I mean he so we're quite different in the way that we process things um so he is generally very very pragmatic and will sort of you know anything that he couldn't control he won't worry about yes. um, and so and he's a couple of years ahead of me as well um in terms of experience um so it's nice for me to come home and be able to maybe express things that I'm worried about and he can sort of say well I can see why you're worried about that but you don't need to be because of these reasons so I find that but sometimes you know we come home and both of us because we know what sort of day we've both had um not specific details but we kind of know the general day we often don't really have much to say to each other because because about work that is because you know we know what they've been doing at work and yes um, so sometimes we can come home and be like oh so how was your day and oh same old same old <laughs> yes um, let's let's think about something outside of work so I guess if you're married to someone or you know your partner is someone who isn't um yeah isn't the yeah. profession as you that can be quite nice to hear about something completely different as well yeah 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 so I can see why you know both ways are good but I really love being able to talk to him because he yeah yeah (laughs) okay that's all good that's all good so I know because a friend of mine training to be a nurse and her husband just sort of and being a doctor and she was said you know it is it is nice to be able to come home and kind of like talk about her training and check in with him. And, you know, yeah. they do talk a lot of medical stuff at the moment. Yeah. Maybe as the years go on, that might change, you know, when they're both in full swing. Okay. During COVID as well, because we both were going through the same. Yes. Yes. <laughs> of course. Okay. So, Anna, you're on this podcast today. And as you know, we want to talk a bit about a few things that are mean a lot to you in your life. Mm-hmm. And I know one of those is being a Christian. Yeah. So I'd love you to share with us, Anna, how, how did you become a Christian? Because I don't know anything about <laughs> your your life or what how that has happened. So um, I was born in Birmingham, as I say, um, and both my parents brought us up me my brother my sister I'm the eldest of three um by two and four years and we were all as a family um attending church from as long as I can remember um and and then we moved from Birmingham down to Kent and you know we obviously went to various churches we've done a few church hops actually um and so I've I've experienced very different churches and um and I was really fortunate, I think, to um, have older Christian people around me who really cared about young people knowing Jesus. And 
and um, we'd put on relevant things for the age. So I think basically outside of church, I had a Christian youth group I would go to, which, you know, was well attended. It was enjoyable. Um, And so although, you know, I probably didn't become a Christian in that I didn't decide that I wanted to become a Christian until maybe I think the age of 13 is probably the age um and the reason I think that is because um I basically went on a confirmation course now this is a jargony word um and to be honest I don't really remember exactly what was a part of that except that confirmation essentially is a Christian course that you can go on um where you learn truths about God um, through the Bible and then by the end of it you would decide whether or not you wanted to become a Christian so it's quite explicit that decision making um, and yeah. then and then you would um, you know basically make a I think what I can remember a proclamation that yeah yes. I'm a Christian now um, so that is I I would like to distinguish that from, you know, you can decide to be a Christian at any point. You don't have to go on a confirmation class and you don't need to make that public um, proclamation. Um, Just deciding that you want to give your life to Jesus and, you know, praying um, a prayer of faith is you know the way to become a Christian you can do that anywhere anytime but that is an obvious time I can see where I'd obviously decided I wanted to devote my life to to Jesus um and that was you know when I was 13 that was you know 13 years ago (laughs) yeah yeah Um, and then I yeah like I say I was fortunate enough to be a part of various lots of Christian youth groups actually um, and having a lot of input in my teenage years which was really important because um, by the age of 15 16 I just really knew that um, God was with me and that um, God had given so much to me through Jesus sacrificing um, himself for everything that I had done wrong um, and forgiving me of all these things and giving me grace which I knew from a young age that I needed um, Brilliant. and that really was important because when I look back on my life at 15, 16 that was when things in my, my family life really started to change um, and my what I'd had, it was a really nice Christian sort of childhood upbringing, happy upbringing, nothing really going wrong. And yeah. I think I, I do remember at that age thinking, oh, so many people have horrible things that happen in their lives. And I've had such a nice life. Um, I don't feel like I can really comfort anyone um, from experience of going through trials. I just feel like I've had this nice, happy life, which is great. But I want to be able to help people more. And I remember praying to Jesus saying, Uh-oh. yeah, I was probably like 15, like quite young and um, saying to Jesus, you know, I, wa- I actually, I want to be in a position where I can sort of do a bit more, <laughs> something along those lines anyway. And then um, that was God, I think, preparing me for what was going to come okay. next, which was um, okay. 
So did, just before you move on to what came next, so yeah. you, um, your mum and dad were obviously both Christians. Do you have any brothers or sisters then, Anna? Yeah, I've got a younger sister who's two years younger than me called Holly and then um, a brother who's four years younger than me called Luke. Um, and we're all very, Super. very close. <laughs> lovely, lovely, yeah. So um, good to, um, yeah, so you became a Christian then when you were 13. You very much um, were then that was the moment that you felt that you sort of gave your life, committed your life to Christ and recognised sort of your need for him maybe and all that he had done and sort of affirming. I also got confirmed and I can also remember. (laughs) Yeah, so I can remember, you know, that feeling of, you know, you know, this is what I believe and this is me personally, my affirmation of my faith. Um, And yeah, so I can remember that well. And then, so then as you went along and you were talking to God and you started praying to him, um, yeah, so since you've sort of became a Christian then and you've had this sort of lovely upbringing, um, what's your life been like then? So then um, I guess a spanner was thrown into the works, to put it in a, a phrase, in that my um, I'd always looked up, obviously you always look up to your parents as a child and yeah. I'd always particularly in terms of faith looked up to my dad he had been someone who was very passionate about God and would be sort of encouraging us in our our personal um walk with God in the family and um it came to light that um he had been seeing another woman outside of obviously my parents marriage and um and obviously this came out and the whole little family nice childhood bubble was burst and okay. thrown into complete chaos because well because of obvious reasons but yeah I had to make a decision at that point do I you know do I give him a second chance do I forgive him I'm a Christian as well I, what does this mean obviously utterly heartbroken and devastated to find this news out um and so my mum amazingly gave my dad this second chance um you know they've been married for a long time they had children they just so she's you know said you know despite this I'm going to try and forgive you and I want you to stay within the family um and there's about a year of really probably uncomfortable family life where dad was still around but there was something not really quite right um obviously I I had lost quite a lot of respect for him um I was really upset by everything didn't know how to process what was going on and then um sadly um he continued that relationship um with this woman um, and my mum had to make the decision to then ask him to leave. And so that was when I was about 17. So coming up okay. to my AS level sort of time. And um, he, so he left and um, he went and lived with um, this woman and they're now married. And, you know, a lot has happened in those 10 years. But um, at the time, obviously, our family unit was completely wrecked. Um, all of us didn't really know how to deal with that. Um, our church at the time was amazing and really came round us to love us and to support us with anything we needed. But it's also a time that you just you take each day and you're just devastated really every day. And it affects everyone mentally and emotionally. And, um, and my my mum 
you know, she was obviously affected um, really badly. And so she wasn't always able to parent us. And so I would often have to um, sort of step up in that regard and try and make sure that Holly and Luke were okay. Um, and, you know, it was just a really, really messy time and yeah. um, really upsetting. And But throughout it all, um, I had, as I say, I felt established in my faith. I knew that God was there, whatever happened. And although and although this was going on and it wasn't something that I'd ever imagined would happen and it definitely wasn't something that um, I would have felt prepared for otherwise I just knew that God was with me despite it and I actually in that time never never questioned God it was very clear this was a you know it was a human decision to do this it wasn't God God's fault you know and um, and that's a really interesting point just that you've just said you know it was a human decision you know it wasn't what sort of god wasn't god's fault and i think that's a really interesting and helpful way to look on it sometimes because mm. sometimes when people look at you know sin and things and people mess up it can be you know god why did you let this happen and yet mm-hmm. it's the reminder isn't it that we're all capable of you know making mistakes and doing things wrong and yeah and that's you know what the sadly the nature of the world that we live in isn't it is that and there's repercussions to that and there's hurt and there's pain caused but yeah by decisions that we make and things that we do isn't it exactly and I guess I guess they probably I because I was so hurt by my dad um doing that and leaving and I felt you know we I felt like he'd abandoned our family everything that he taught me he obviously didn't believe in because he just <laughs> I felt like he'd you know completely turned his back on God and all these things but what I've really learned over many years <laughs> is that my my um sinfulness and sinfulness is just you know um falling short of God's perfection and you know goodness you know yeah, we're all there yeah. we're all there all there is exact you know it's the same to God as my dad's and that's a really hard thing to learn when you've been personally affected by it and you know sin has its consequences you can call it out um but I've had to learn that actually as much as I've been hurt by that um and continue to live in the consequences of that decision that he had made um I am actually just as bad as my dad and that's that's something that has taken a long time to realize um and that you know I because God has forgiven me so much um I should forgive my dad and that has really been the lesson that I've had to learn from that really that's been the hardest lesson that I've had to learn but um without sorry sorry I was going to say you're saying you just sort of said you know I need to forgive my dad or that's what we're sort of told to do forgive as we've been forgiven and um you know we say that but I'm sure that's not as easy to do as what you know how saying it you know no completely and actually I'm I'm still definitely in that process um and I've you know had to go through multiple um I guess um stages of forgiveness and learning what forgiveness really is as well because um 
it's a timely thing time certainly helps um because you need to be able to process what's going on um but I've had to go to Christian counselling. Well, I had to. I, I wanted to go at some point to Christian counselling. It didn't happen until four or five years later um, because I just wasn't ready to. To I wasn't in that place for a long time where I wanted to actually actively forgive my dad. I the, the first year, in fact, I didn't speak to my dad at all. There's a whole year where I was so angry at him and so upset by everything that. I just didn't speak to him, which um, was my way of sort of punishing him, to be honest. Um, And when I went to this Christian counselling many years later, this wonderful woman um, called Janice um, said to me, you know, well, asked me, what what do you think forgiveness is? And I think at that point, I was like, well, you know, just deciding that you... um, whatever they've done which is wrong isn't going to affect you anymore or you know you just say that's that wasn't right but I'm gonna love you anyway I wasn't really sure to be honest and she said something really helpful to me which was um yes to those things but forgiveness is also not punishing that person anymore and I realized I'm still punishing him because I was still hurt and the way that I punish him was um essentially not sort of being very reactive to messages I would sort of leave messages he sent me for a while and um I wouldn't I just didn't really want to indulge in the relationship I was quite happy to go and do my life my you know my busy learning medicine and being at university and lots of things sort of life and just sort of cut him out of it um but actually I think and I'm still I'm still not fully there at all. But I think um, that is just make it does end up making things worse. <laughs> um, and forgiveness is isn't an easy thing at all. But um, I think the only reason that I want to forgive, I have this want to forgive is because of Jesus. And like I said, forgiving me and I you know, at the time, lots of people would say to me, oh, don't don't worry about forgiving your dad. He's done this awful thing. You don't just he doesn't deserve your forgiveness or, you know, he he chose to do this and you can choose not to forgive him and you'd be completely justified in doing that. And that's the sort of line that I took for a while. He's like, yeah, of course, you know, you know, he's hurt me, so I'm going to hurt him or, you know, and actually that's not what the Bible tells us is right. Um, and even though it's not an easy thing to do, um, Jesus forgave, has forgiven me of every wrong thing I've ever done, every wrong thing I've ever thought, any wrong thing I, you know, I've done lots of wrong things in my life and he's forgiven me all of those things. And he had to die on a cross of brutal death um, to do that and, um and rise again which yeah you know yeah it's a big deal and so if Jesus can go through all that to forgive me of all of my my problems um then surely I can try and forgive my dad and you yeah know, very and it's funny that, that you know Jesus you know through, through forgiveness that Jesus offers us we get this reconciliation don't we with the father we get this um, eternal life we get this relationship with this almighty creator who made us and loves us that we can speak to every day 
and mm-hmm. come to knowing that even though we mess up and do things, this amazing, perfect creator loves us and wants to have this relationship with us. And then we, when you think about trying to forgive your dad, or I know for myself, forgiving people who have wronged me in the past, you know, it's hot as so it's, you know, it's so hard to do. And yet mm-hmm. that's what God does for us. You know, it's, it is amazing what God does for us when we think mm-hmm. how hard it is for us to forgive others who have wronged us, you know, and it can take a long time. And, and yet that's what God has done for us. So in some respects, it just shows how great it is that God's forgiven us even more so because we know how hard it is to forgive. <laughs> Exactly. You know? And, you know, um, it's not an easy thing to forgive. You know, um, maybe some things are slightly easier to forgive than others. But at the end of the day, um, it's quite clear that, you know, Jesus, we're yeah, we're called to forgive people. And that's not a very, um, I don't see that in culture around me. I don't see that in society generally. There's a very big cancel culture where as soon as someone's done something wrong or said something wrong, they are out. We don't want them anymore yeah. in the public sphere. And and that in that way, it's Christianity is different. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, would, I guess they feel, it's almost like this um, feeling of, I deserve not to forgive this person. It's my right not to yeah. forgive this person. Um, but actually there's so much there's such beauty in forgiving people yeah. um yeah. pardon it's painful um but there is... I think of when I've hurt people and I've done things wrong and I've had to say sorry or the times that I haven't said sorry mm-hmm. and I should and yeah. yet when people forgive me and mm-hmm. say you know it's okay Jeanette like don't worry you know it's okay forgive you and I know even in our marriage there's things that we've had to forgive each other for that you know not always easy but yeah. yet through that, um, like there's real blessing in that. There's like you know, it's um, I always think you know in the ver- in the Bible it talks about not letting bitterness take root in your heart, mm. and I think that sometimes um when we're trying to forgive others or or people are trying to forgive me, you know, it's that bitterness that can creep in that can make it you know as you say, yeah. oh yeah, you don't need to forgive them, you know, just cut them out, yeah. and actually you know the harder route is the better route and, and it's actually what God wants us to do and with that mm-hmm. you know you're almost released from like feel all those feelings that come with mm-hmm. unforgiveness you know and by doing and that, you're Jesus to people aren't you because yeah. that's what yeah. Jesus has done for us and I think we sometimes we just forget how huge that is because we think and um, we had a recent um talk at church which really put it well um we think that we've not being forgiven much because we don't sin very much we don't have many problems yeah. we're a good person we try and like tell ourselves these these things but actually we're not um, we're just not and um god has forgiven us so much and when you realize that you realize i need i can't not forgive other people even if it's hard yeah. and it's costly yeah um, yeah absolutely so I'm journey Jeanette it's definitely yeah <laughs> I, mean, I feel like absolutely. I can be honest about all the the sinful ways I yeah. forgiveness but but the fact that I'm you know I know that I I need to do it is is a, a difference I think because of knowing Jesus like I think if I didn't yeah. know Jesus I'd probably have just been like see ya I'm fine by myself I'm independent I don't need you yeah. I don't want you in my life yeah. um, anyway. even though that wouldn't have necessarily brought you you know to a place of peace you know if you did take that action that, that wouldn't necessarily bring you to a good place either no definitely not so <laughs> no absolutely not so so some other things then I know that sort of your life um you've been led to as such or maybe you've felt since becoming a Christian that God has put things on your heart 
Um, I know you mentioned beforehand something around sort of health and social justice, how you link those two. Yes. Um, so I, to try and tell the story in a concise way, when I um, started university, um, you know, fresh eye, bushy tailed, fresh eyed and bushy tailed, I, you know, was really excited to start a medical course with the idea that by the end of it, I'd be you know, able to impact people's lives. Um, and I was excited by that. But um, I think God has shown me probably where that should, those efforts should be placed. And I think what has grown in me over those years um, since starting medical school is um, a sense of um, the world has so much injustice in it, um, inside and outside of healthcare, um, that I would really love to in the future, um, I guess, see how these problems with social injustice interact with healthcare and how can we try and make healthcare more fair for people. Um, yeah. And that sort of started on a, a trip to Kenya. <laughs> uh, so Chris's best friend um, was brought up in Kenya. And so occasionally he'll go back to visit the people that he was brought up with. And I um, was asked, do I want to come along? And I said, definitely. So at the end of my first year of medical school, we went out to a very rural place um, in Kenya um, and essentially to visit um, our friends family really um, and also to do a couple of things like help teach um, a few classes at the local school and sort of do a few odds and ends um, in a little medical clinic and I, we were taken one day to probably a few miles down the road to this building which had been recently erected and it was quite a nice building um, quite a big building and it was quite different to a lot of the, the local houses and buildings around it was very rural where we were and a lot most people didn't have access to good healthcare at all and this building was meant to be a local hospital which was going to try and solve that problem but we were told oh the building was erected but the funding stopped and as far as we can tell nothing is going to continue um with this building so the building's there but we're not going to have any staff to man it we're not going to have any equipment in it it's just an empty shell and so all that hope that we had to be able to access healthcare has been dashed and and I just felt really angry about that um and especially considering um how easy it is to get healthcare anything um in our country I just felt like that was so unfair um yeah. and so that kind of started off in me I guess this sense of um how can we try and um identify barriers that prevent people from getting health care and I, I'm a full believer in that everyone should have equal equal rights to health care um and so why is it that not everyone has equal healthcare. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do you do with that thought then? How do you even go about trying to help that? <laughs> Good question. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Um, so um, uh, for my, I did a master's in between my fourth and my fifth year of university at the Liverpool Tropical School of Medicine. By this point, um, it was, so that was three years ago. Um, it, obviously, 
the Syrian refugee crisis had started a few years before then, but um, it was, I think, really on my heart that a lot of these people had travelled miles and miles and miles to get to Europe um, and maybe even get to the UK and then the healthcare that they were receiving was really limited um, and so I wanted to uh, find out more about this and so I worked with a secular charity um, to do my master's dissertation um, where I, I got to talk with asylum seeking women about their perinatal um, health so basically perinatal just means the time before and after giving birth okay. and learnt, learnt a lot learned so much about all the barriers that they have to face to get good um maternity care and I was really shocked by some of the things I heard and although actually when when they got to um where they needed for needed to go for their uh, maternity care it tended to be you know really good health care that they were receiving they never said otherwise it was more that you know lots of different other things would stop them from getting that healthcare. So for example, um, they would be in um, accommodation, which was miles away from where they needed to go to their appointments and they didn't have enough money to buy a bus ticket to go to their appointment. So it'd be mm-hmm. those sorts of problems. And you know, they would be getting five pounds a day to live off. Um, and most of these women have multiple children and were single. Um, and if they most of them spoke really good English but some of them really didn't and so that was another barrier to getting good health care mm-hmm. some women would receive say a letter in the post that said um, you know you're you're due to come to the GP surgery because you've moved into the area something like this and you know because of their um, English proficiency not being high they would see they'd recognize the word surgery and they were pregnant and they assumed that um they the setter was about cutting their baby out of them and things like that actually just going to the GP for so they wouldn't ever go to their GP and some people it just it just had um consequences of um women delaying antenatal care and that sometimes had adverse effects on mum and adverse effects on the baby so this is the sort of thing that it's really hard to know how do you approach these issues there's so many issues and a lot are um to do with our social um framework and government funding and where money is um so it's difficult to know but um that's sort of what I want to devote my life to and um, trying to figure out <laughs> what we can do to try yeah. and make sure that women do end up with good, the same maternity care that I would get um, an asylum seeking woman yeah. would get, you know yeah um, and I think as a Christian it's hard to comprehend the world that we live in as a, even if you weren't a Christian um, it, it seems so unfair we're, you know we're so privileged here in the west we're so privileged with all that we um, are, have access to you know and it, it doesn't seem right does it it's just there's mm-hmm. such an injustice in the world yeah. and I know sort of speaking um you know just in my little world of you know I don't even know how you even start to change these things you know so the fact that you're kind of even 
you know, got a heart to really try and do something. I know that you visited Lebanon, haven't you? You've been yeah. out there a couple of times, Anna. Yeah. And um, has, has God sort of put Lebanon on your heart or is it, um, you know, lots of different places? Yeah. Where well, do you start, I think, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, again, another testament to you. So one thing which a lot of Christians will know is that God's plan is better than our own plans so um it got to the end of medical school and you get this last really big summer and this was obviously pre-covid so we were able to travel and so I wanted to um work in a refugee camp if possible that was where I'd like to have gone and so I mentioned this to one of the women in our church called Lindsay who you know and she knows everyone it feels she knows everyone in the Christian world and so she just said well I know someone who um runs um you know international work for this really big U.S so he'll know so then he gave us a few options of different places we could go and one by one because I thought I'd probably end up in Greece somewhere nearby and then one by one um the doors closed and all of the places except for going to Lebanon and I'd never thought again like Liverpool um before when I was talking about university I just didn't know anything about Lebanon you know I'd I think in my head um I probably knew a bit about other Middle Eastern countries um, from my master's that I'd done, but Lebanon just wasn't one of those on the radar. So anyway, um, I thought, well... I'm hoping Lindsay is planning to come on, you know, and talk about Lebanon on here and talk a bit more about the whole situation because she is, you know, she's really passionate. That's why I was saying, you know, you've gone to Lebanon and is it definitely now somewhere on your heart? Yes, definitely. And... But I didn't think it was. This is the thing. So I, I guess I knew I knew that I wanted to work with um, with refugees and asylum seekers. Um, but I didn't know where to go. I didn't have a specific yeah. place in mind. Yeah. And so we and ended God up just everything. had different ideas. Yeah, and God, well, God knew, and so I had no yeah. idea, but He did. So He opened this door to go over to Lebanon and um, meet various local people who are doing incredible things for the refugee population. Um, most of those are Syrian refugees, but they also have Palestinian refugees that they look after. Um, and yeah, so doors have been open to um, to help them with the amazing work that they are doing. So we're not going out and you know doing our own thing that wouldn't be right but yeah. we're going out and supporting the work that has already been done by local people which is yeah which is brilliant and I think with the recent that they had the recent um catastrophe didn't they in the port yeah. and I know that church has been fab and Lindsay and I'm sure you've been involved in that doing a big appeal and getting people to donate things and getting it shipped out which obviously is hard in itself because it's meant to be shipped to the port wasn't it but then the port yeah. obviously yeah, yeah. I know so sometimes you can just think oh my gosh like what this <laughs> it just felt this year that one after the other another disaster was happening so the first thing was so we've been out twice and we were, we were meant to go out in June this year as well and then Covid so <laughs> uh, stupid Covid I know stupid Covid so then uh, our flight was um, cancelled almost immediately um, so we knew that we wouldn't be going out to Lebanon this year and that was really disappointing um, I guess because after two years you start to really kind of 
build relationships and meet the same people and that's really something you look forward to and you just you're just better at doing what you were doing so that was a shame but what's come out of that is now us um I guess becoming creative and thinking what can we do from the UK surely we can still do something um and obviously we can raise money and we've raised money um and we've got these donations but there's also been some really interesting collaborations um over the internet so we help support a medical clinic that goes on um in the south of Lebanon and um, we've been able to continue to support them by basically having, um, you know, various issues that they come across. They will email us these issues. And um, there's an NDT of us, a couple of GPs, myself and Chris, who will sort of read through these cases and try and help um, any way we can to Absolutely just brilliant. give us a bit of guidance. Um, yeah. it's, it's mainly because obviously what the clinic wants to do is, um, you know get these people to their local hospital or local healthcare center but sometimes because it's private medicine it's a lot of money and so sometimes people will be told by a doctor or whoever you need all these various scans and this it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of pounds and they don't have that money obviously like most people don't have that sort, sort of money and so then we'll say well actually you don't need that scan um you can do this instead or you know something to just try well, and help them get yeah. good health care but not have to pay out anything that's that they brilliant. can afford yeah so, and you're yeah. that's really helpful to those people and what you're doing Anna is fantastic and and I just think if anyone's listening and I think you know you're very clearly talking about something that God's put in your heart and mm-hmm. um, a passion that you weren't quite sure what to do with and yet God just opened those doors and I think you know, we can all relate to that in some level, you know, you, you mm-hmm. things, we're all passionate about different things and there's different things that God, I believe, puts on people's hearts yeah. and it's up to us to act on that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, um, you know, even like doing this podcast for me, for example, but different things, you know, you, I think we need to respond. It's responding, isn't it? Saying, here I am, Lord, send me, you know, what can I do? And then you pray about it mm-hmm. and God opens those doors. And I, mm-hmm. and I think if anyone's listening and, you know, um, it has got something, you know, seeking God on at the moment and thinking, you know, what, what, what can I do, God? How can I help? Um, yeah. God opens those doors, doesn't he? And he definitely brings about opportunities to do things that you would never maybe have dreamt of doing. Like, yeah. so, like the way you're supporting those people in Lebanon who so desperately need medical advice and medical help. And, you know, you're using the gifts and the wisdom that you've got um, to help those people, which is ultimately, you know, we're called to be Jesus' hands and feet in this world, mm-hmm. aren't we? And that's what you're doing. Anna. And I just think that's brilliant. And, you know, I look forward to hearing, you know, further, you know, how things go with all of that. And even with the social injustice of the world, you know, and it's wrong and it's not right. And and then and we have to, you know, we're we're put here for a reason, aren't we, God? Yeah. When you become a Christian, you realize that there's purpose to your life. There's a reason why you're here and it might just be at this moment to help the people on your street or the people in your house or your family you know but ultimately there is purpose isn't there in what Mm. and what um in being in this world as hard as it is and I think um you know just during this times you know I'm really enjoying sort of listening to your heart and how God uses you to to bless others because um it can be it's very hard at the moment to find I don't know you know 
for people like I know for myself the last few weeks you sort of muddling through at the moment you know right all the things are changing you know Boris makes an announcement something's changed <laughs> all the things that we want to be able to do we can't do and it's it's really hard isn't it but yet we've yeah. got to remember that actually you know helping your neighbor is is what we're here to do helping yeah. each other loving each other is actually that's the biggest commandment isn't it to love one another yeah. um, and even though it's like what do we do it's we're called to love so um that's really really brilliant listening to you Anna brilliant <laughs> I wonder um well, um, we, we could talk all day. I think this could go on for like a three-hour <laughs> podcast just about these things. Um, but so you're obviously very passionate about that. I know you go kayaking. You're a big kayaker. <laughs> yeah. Are you not? Well, um, <laughs> so. Um, Do you dabble? Like, Do you I dabble? Like, yes, I like kayaking. However, I've realised by it. So basically during COVID, um, we realised, oh, Lebanon's off the cards. We probably can't travel anywhere. What can we do to sort of, you know, do some local, um, something exciting, um, do the sort of local holidays? And so Chris was brought up in Devon, which um, has meant he's had quite an outdoorsy lifestyle growing up. And so he's he's grown up kayaking and doing all these sorts of things and he'd always wanted kayaks and I'm one of these people who's just up for most things in life so I thought to myself yeah let's get some kayaks so because we don't have our own house we decided to get inflatable kayaks because then it's a lot easier yes they're very hard to get now Anna because everybody's buying inflatable kayaks it's such trendsetters (laughs) (laughs) it's funny I joke but um we I don't know it was just fortunate I guess we we bought these kayaks in April and that seemed to be the time when they just all just went and so we bought them and thought brilliant we'll just you know occasionally go to a lake and I guess kayak um and then you know we obviously mentioned this to some people in church (laughs) (laughs) they were like oh my goodness we want kayaks and then when they were fine they'd all gone literally they just gone from amazon and so they'd be fighting on ebay to get them <laughs> like being tripled in price and it was just a nightmare for the poor people <laughs> oh. to the kayak and you know, they're not too expensive either but obviously um because of the demand people were buying them yes. and them on for triple the price which is horrible really <laughs> but um as now all the people who were, were desperate to have a kayak have a kayak <laughs> and uh, we formed this sort of informal club at at church but anyone can join you know with brilliant you, know, you do kind of need to have either a kayak or a paddleboard or something to to keep yes. you in water <laughs> yeah then, I've seen loads of lovely pictures and the docks and everything <laughs> and it just seems to yeah. really happened all of a sudden which is lovely I know. Oh, it's such a cool yeah. thing to do you know. so, yeah so if anyone wants to join the kayaking club Get in touch, eh, Anna? Get in touch. And, you know, you can borrow mine if you don't have one. You know, we're not using them a lot. So you can borrow ours. Oh, excellent. Right. We're going to have to wrap this up because I think we're nearly out of time. So um, if if we can do these last ones quickly. If not, don't panic. But have you got a favourite verse in the Bible? Yeah, this is a really hard one, isn't it? I know, I know. You've got a, a no. And it probably depends what day of the week we ask you this no, question. No, no, no. You're so right. So, um, 
basically oh, I'm, I'm literally make, you know when you're at an, a restaurant and you're making a quick fire decision about yes it's okay just make, share a nice verse so <laughs> essentially I was looking at my old bible where I've just like highlighted loads of things as a teenager you know how you do <laughs> and yep. the verses that kind of really stood out where um I've always been a real fan of Philippians 4 um, chapter 4 verse 4 to 7 which maybe has been mentioned before in your podcast because it's one of those that everyone yeah. seems to love um, and that basically says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let your reason reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanks and let your re- requests oh I can't talk requests be known to God and I think the reason that I love that verse or those verses is because um the whole of Philippians is sort of talking about how we can have what's called deep joy which is different to happiness deep joy amongst all circumstances um and that's by knowing Christ and so although you know I've been through some tough things in the past um, and I've not been happy. I've been sad in those times. Actually, I've had still this deep joy of knowing that Christ is with me in those times. Um, and I think, you know, it's just it's helpful to know that God is is there with you and that, you know, yeah. we can be anxious, but calling us to yeah. to give those Thank things you. over to God and know Brilliant. that he is with you despite them. Yeah, I'm into that. Brilliant. <laughs> OK, best thing about being a Christian um I guess having that assurance as I've just said that God is with me um but also just church um if it wasn't for church I wouldn't have met so many people who I know and love today because you know we tend to just sort of congregate with people that are like us so you know generally medical people um you know those sorts of things but actually going to church where there's people who aren't medics who are from yeah. all sorts of different backgrounds different countries different languages all these things that is what heaven is going to be like in the future um yeah. heaven, you know and I love seeing that on earth and although church is messy and it's full of people and people as we've discussed before are sinful um actually just being around so many different people I wouldn't normally yeah necessarily come come towards I'm honest actually it's it's just wonderful (laughs) and God loves everyone he calls everyone to come and be you know part of his family which I love too okay Anna we'll keep going favorite food okay this one's quick waffles um with ice cream or waffles with like bacon and maple syrup just waffles essentially waffles yeah brilliant (laughs) Oh, not my choice, but brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Something that makes you laugh. Something that makes you laugh. Um, slapstick comedy. So, like, I'm terrible. If someone, fall, as long, you know, as long as they don't hurt themselves, it's a caveat. But if someone falls over, yeah. it really cracks me up. I don't know what it's about. <laughs> there's, something, it's there's, something a bit, there's something a bit wicked about that now, you know. I remember I had a friend in school who was like that. She just loved to laugh at other people's misfortunes. I, I, I feel like it's probably a, a flaw in my character. But um, to be fair, I laugh at myself. So, like, recently, i yes. very lucky to, like, have this last minute holiday. Well, I say recently, it wasn't so recent, but um, holiday to Croatia. And I basically, we decided to rent a boat 
and we'd never done this before it was just like a, a motor powered boat and we were getting to the first jetty where we were going to have to put the anchor down etc and I was the person who's going to tie the boat up and as I stepped off the boat I stepped into not onto the jetty but into the crack between the oh, jetty no. um, and the boat and I completely face planted concrete which was terrible oh, no. um, and someone actually watched this whole thing happen and obviously it was a shock I was in pain I thought I'd really I thought I'd broken my leg I hadn't oh, I was no. being dramatic but um <laughs> I think you know watching that back in my head as I imagine it it's hilarious and I really oh. wish to film that because it would have been but that's people making fortune on you being framed don't they with stuff like this and it is awful because we you know that is one of the things that we watch as a family and do laugh our heads off okay <laughs> have you got have you got <laughs> <laughs> have you got a top tip a life tip to share that everyone should know well basically our house because I, I was telling Jeanette before we have lots of holes in our house it's a little bit grotty um and we get lots of spiders in the house which isn't great oh. I don't I don't mind them well I prefer them being outside I'm not scared of them but I don't want them in the house yes <laughs> we were looking up how do you get spiders out of the house and I think yes. really conkers conkers yes <laughs> Is that your tip? Yeah, so I, it's a great I, read, tip. I read this old wives' tale and I thought, you know what, I'm I'm desperate. I'll try anything. So I've got this conquer in my my bedroom and I can I promise you it's been there all year and we haven't had a spider in our bedroom. <laughs> That's um, a brilliant tip. And it's so true we do the same in our house, Conquer. <laughs> Somebody told us that once too. And and <laughs> yes, oh that's so funny. What yeah. a great tip. Conquer's and it's I mean, conquer season, so it's a great time to give that tip. <laughs> now, I don't know how scientific it is, and I've looked into it, and I think we, the, the the verdict is out on whether it's actually any good or not, but I, I, I anecdotally swear by it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a doctor, so we're going to take that as scientific. Trust <laughs> me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> Abusing my <laughs> Uh, but, um, <laughs> that's brilliant oh Anna that was that's a brilliant one to end on Conquer's brilliant it's been great chatting to you today Anna and I do oh, you know you. thank you for coming on and sharing you know your passions some of the stuff you've been through you know how God has helped you through all of this and you know the fact that you've re- been able to fully rely on him through this and it was interesting at the start you said about becoming a Christian when you're 13 and even though you went through all the hard stuff it didn't make you doubt God you know you knew he was still there he was ready to listen he was ready to hear your prayers he was ready for you to cry out to and he helped you and even though um, things are hard you know that he's there and that is for me too you know the most amazing thing about being a Christian um, is when it's it's so hard life is hard life is rubbish particularly at the moment lots of people you know are really struggling and um, but yet we've got this amazing God who loves us who is ready for us to come to him you know we've just got to repent yeah. turn away from all the rubbish that we do and just yeah. submit to him and yeah. know that he is God and Lord of all so Anna I <laughs> wish you well thank you very much Jeanette it's been a pleasure yeah, and maybe we'll get you back on and we'll hear more about some of the other stuff at some other time, some other series. Who knows, eh? Yes, I'd love that. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And if you've any questions about anything you've heard today and you want to speak to Anna further on anything around social injustice, Lebanon, anything at all that's maybe struck a chord, I'm sure she'd be more than willing to have a chat with you. So do get in touch and I can pass across numbers and things. Um, but thanks for listening and take care. <laughs>